So there's uh, a story behind that song. David Ford is an English musician who, over the last decade or so, has built up a decent-sized following in Philadelphia in the States. And in 2010, he was uh, giving a concert here at World Cafe Live, University City. And um, it, was, it was one of those nights, one of those nights that if you're in the biz of, you know, regularly getting up in front of people that you're, you're going to have. One of those nights when things are not going well. The sound quality was crappy. They couldn't get things dialed in the right way. And even more than that, David Ford's heart was very heavy. People who had seen him before recognized something was, was off, you know, didn't have the same vitality, didn't have the same presence. And he got through his main set, and yeah, it was an okay show. And he came out to do an encore, like after a long time. And when he got to the microphone to start the song for his encore, he was holding his body really oddly. Like, he wasn't facing this audience. He kind of was, like, facing off to the side. <laughs> and he, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, this, is, this is not a good night. It doesn't, doesn't sound good, and, and I'm just not here, and, and I'm, my mind's preoccupied, and and, and then he stopped for a while, and, and you could tell he was having like a uh, tough time uh, holding, it, um, holding it together. And he said, the, the truth is, is that, um, uh, you know, back in England, half a world away, uh, my grandmother, uh, my, my grandmother who, who raised me, uh, she's, um, she's dying. I could be like any day now. And uh, so I just, I don't know where my head's at. And his shoulders started to slump a little bit more. And it seemed like at any moment he could start just breaking out in tears. And uh, from the back of the room, someone shouted, Do you need a hug? They said, uh, Yeah, I could use a hug. So this guy came bounding up and gave David Ford a big, big, big bear hug, which lasted like, I don't know, a minute or two. And at this point, David Ford was a complete puddle. <laughs> and he still, like, couldn't really bring himself to, like, face the audience. And so he did, like, you know, one song for the encore. And he put down his instrument, and he just kind of shampled off the stage. No acknowledgement, no say, I'll see you soon, Philadelphia. No, you know, none of that. Indicating that the concert was over. He just exited. And the people in the crowd were like, what do we do now? <laughs> what do we do? You know what we should do? So World Cafe Live, some of you might know, is it's a bar, restaurant. And so someone in the crowd had the idea, take out a cocktail napkin. Take out a pen and write a note to David Ford. I'm sorry for how much you're struggling. 
I love you, or you're in my heart. He went up and he gave it to the bouncer, and the bouncer put it on David's word piano. And then another person took out another cocktail napkin and wrote David forward a note. I love you, you're in my heart. Gave it to the bouncer. The bouncer put it in the piano. And another person took out a cocktail napkin. And another person. And another person. And another person. And another person. Until David Ford's piano was entirely covered in cocktail napkin love notes. <laughs> About an hour after the show, when everyone else had cleared out, I didn't see David Ford again, the audience didn't. He came out. He wasn't sure at all what he'd find. He was still feeling awful. And he saw that piano of his covered in all those notes. <laughs> and he said it kind of saved his life. That's what he needed. And several years later, <laughs> he wrote a love song back to the city of Philadelphia. And you just heard it. Now we know the end of the story, and it's a great story. But let's go back to that moment. The moment when he's giving not the best performance in the world, and he kind of shambles off the stage. I want to be kind to all of us here, those of us who live in the Philadelphia metro region. But our reputation is not the best. <laughs> right? We were talking with Harry afterward, uh, after the first service. And he's like, yeah, someone could have shouted out, dude, you suck. <laughs> I mean, you know, we live in this really brutal social media era, right? In which people practice all kinds of cruelty <laughs> with each other. You know, people could have fled to Twitter or Facebook, shared. I just saw David Ford have a complete meltdown on stage. I mean, he could have gotten a reputation, not the good interpretation or connotation of this word. He could have been known as a diva. Guy who couldn't handle it, couldn't hack it, not a professional. But that didn't happen. Then he got all of these. And it breathed life back into a soul that was absolutely in need of a breath of fresh air, and of just a little bit of love. For David Ford, that was the watershed moment in his career. That was the moment who defined who he was and who his fans were. Because the truth is, David Ford, the payoff that evening was like, oh my God, look at that. <laughs> look at all that love. But the people who wrote all those notes, they didn't know that for years. The song came out like three years afterward. They didn't know they were participating in someone else's watershed moment. They didn't know that they were going to be successful in breathing life back into an exhausted soul. The truth of many of what we call the watershed moments in our lives, often not immediately known, reveals itself over time with time, and it takes time. 
The truth is, in our lives, especially in a world in which we are expected or self-expected to have reactions, opinions, perspectives on just about everything that happens immediately and to come up with something eloquent to say, I'm not talking about myself here whatsoever, right? (laughs) And to be able to get it out there and to know what's the right thing to say. We live in a world impatient in a lot of ways. And impatience can reveal floods or can bring about droughts. But impatience really cannot produce watersheds, not watershed moments. It takes time to know the meaning of our lives. There's a French philosopher, postmodernist, deconstructionist, blah, 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 Michel Foucault. He said something a number of years ago that I think is just incredibly wise. He said, very often we know what we do. Those of you who've been through PhD programs, I can see it on your faces right now. There's a few of you if you know who Michel Foucault is. He said, we often know what we do. Sometimes we know why we do what we do. But what we most often don't know is what we do does. We don't know the effects. It takes time. And sometimes we're really impatient. We want the results now. But especially with the things that we call watershed moments, the things that really change us, the meaning is revealed only after time. Sometimes we might find ourselves, such as a chef, And a patron, a disgruntled patron, in 1853 in Buffalo, New York, engaged in a battle of the wills, sending a dish out and then sending it back and sending a dish out of the kitchen and back from the dining room and back and forth and back and and forth, debating over these fried potatoes. This happened, by the way. They're too soggy. Now they're crispy enough. No, they're still too soggy. Now they're crispy enough. Until finally, the chef, totally fed up, said, I am going to slice the thinnest potato in the world. I'm going to fry the crap out of it. And I'm going to cover it in salt. And here, eat this. This disgruntled chef and this disgruntled patron did not know that what they were in the middle of was the invention of the potato chip. Now, depending upon your taste. The invention of the potato chip is either blessing or curse for you. But they didn't know. (laughs) They didn't know. It's so true in our lives. We don't know for a while. So really the only way to know the value of the watershed moments that we're participating in is to show up. Because we never know when one of those moments is going to happen. We never know when the love notes, the I care notes, the kind of calls that Jessica was talking about at the start of our service will make all the difference for someone. We don't know what we do does. We only can have the intention of sending out, like the poet Walt Whitman said, love letters to or from God that are dropped in the street. We don't know what we do does. And sometimes it takes us a long time to be unpacking the meaning of our lives. 
how those implications will ripple out and unfold. Yesterday, I had the blessing and the privilege of being asked to present a talk at our Addictions and Recovery Expo. I've written books about recovery, talked about my recovery before. It was not a done deal. I almost didn't want to talk. I wanted to give space to other people, but the team asked me, we want you to give a talk. And so I thought, what could I say about recovery, about my recovery as a person in long-term recovery? What could I say that felt fresh? that felt like it would be a contribution to what was being shared yesterday. And I came up with this. That the blessing of this path, as many of us describe ourselves who are in recovery, is that we're a recovering fill-in-the-blank. Recovering alcoholic, in this case. And that the spiritual genius of this is really amazing, if you think about it. I have to tell you, if I was expected to be a recovered alcoholic, (laughs) I would spend most of my time worrying about perfecting that image (laughs) or protecting that image. It would be of no help to me whatsoever if the language was that I was to be a recovered alcoholic. But the blessing of ING is that I don't have to get it right. (laughs) I'm not expected to get it perfect. I am ING, recovering. Now, this links up with also something that is also part of my recovering life, which is the practice of mindfulness, which is really about learning to pay attention. For the school of mindfulness in which I was trained, there's a very specific way of languaging, of leading with words, meditations. And it's all about ING. You might say, Jesse, sorry to pick on you. Notice your toes. You noticed them? All right, now what, right? (laughs) But if I said Jesse, Julie, Jane, Chris, all of us, noticing the toes. Checking in with the breath. Becoming aware of how you're feeling right now. You see the difference? One is, yeah, I've done that. I can move on to the next thing. The other is an invitation to become aware of how our awareness is always unfolding. Always spilling out. Never finished. It's like one of our core beliefs here at Wellsprings. Our freedom reaches its fulfillment in connection with others. Like a pebble dropped into a pool of water, we do not know how far the ripples of our actions may reach. We don't know what paying attention will get us. I do know, however, what not paying attention will get many of us, (laughs) which is a life in which We're just kind of sailing through, putting it on autopilot. And as a result, and I know this for many decades of my life, making unwise choices and engaging in unkind behaviors to self or other. Yesterday I had a reminder. Yesterday I had a reminder. 
that the defining watershed moment of my life was September 19th, 2005. Some of you know this and some of you don't. But I got sober on that day six weeks after I became the founding minister of this congregation. I do not recommend this professional life plan. (laughs) See, what preceded those six weeks was all the same crap. All the same old behaviors that I thought would change because of change of venue and better paycheck and, you know, a denomination that kind of put the finger on me. said, we want you to leave this thing that's going to be awesome. Yay. Woo-hoo. Ken, you're fantastic. So six weeks after I became the lead minister officially at Wellsprings, I decided that I needed to change. The truth is I could not have predicted anything in the last 10 years that I'd be participating in. All I knew at that point was that I was in an awful lot of pain and I was tired of being in pain and I was willing to try something new. So yesterday, to be able to participate in that experience of love and grace and uh, connection, be able to participate in that kind of movement of the soul. My friends, wow. I could not have predicted that. Thank God. These are the watershed moments that we allow our lives to unfold. That we remain willing And we are allowing ourselves over and over and over again to be continuously transformed by the choices that make our lives. I don't know what the next decade will hold. I don't know where my sobriety, my ongoing recovering life will lead me. But what I must tell you is I trust that watershed. I trust the spirit of that unfolding. And I trust as well that in true watershed moments, this happens for all of us. Our love leads our learning. And that very often the heart opens and continues to open before the mind does. And we simply become willing to receive life for all it contains. I was reminded yesterday in the midst of this expression of beloved community here at Wellsprings, That the watershed does not live by, of, or for itself. The watershed is always a connecting place. It's one of the reasons if you drive through an area that is a watershed, you will see signs like this. I have no idea where the Harpeth River, I can't even pronounce it, Harpeth River watershed is. But I do know that I am being invited to help keep it clean. (laughs) You see the, the intent there? I mean, you'll see other things on other watersheds, you know, practice good recreational boating or something like that. You know, the, the point is, take care when you're entering a watershed. Take care because what we do matters. 
the ripples of our actions will reach out and be reaching out beyond ourselves for a long time beyond this moment. Rippling out in ways we cannot predict. And that, if we realize the promise of it, is such an incredible blessing. Because we know our lives are unfinished. And we get to share our lives in an open and abundant way. There's a song by the band Wilco that has a kind of dismissive sounding title called Jesus, etc. But it's actually not a dismissive song at all. There's a line in that song that says, each of us is a burning sun. This is what I believe. Can't be a burned out sun, right? (laughs) You're a dead star. But if each of us is truly a burning sun, then the truth of the matter is that our light will ripple far, far beyond us, will emanate out to places that we could never envision and will end up in places that we ourselves might never see. Recognizing that for a moment. Recognize how powerful we truly are. It's not power as the world often defines power, which is the power of control, the power to have my plan turn out the way that I wanted. (laughs) It's the power of recognizing that our energy, our love, our lives are connecting at every moment and that our love, our energy, and our lives will help to create other beings Other creatures will touch other lives, this life, in ways that we cannot predict. Sometimes it's in notes. Sometimes it will become songs. May we trust that each of us burning suns has light to share, emanations to cast. Today. May you share your light, your love, your energy. Amen. May you live in blessing. Blessing. Let's pray together. God of the unfolding, of the rippling forth, of the emanating, of not the static nature of the being, but of the ever becoming. May we recognize that our lives in process are lives of deep potential. That our lives of becoming are lives that have the capacity of fantastic sharing. That our lives that in sharing have the most profound capacity there is to be loving, to be connecting. Be the kinds of lives that know in all of this there is the deep call of belonging and that we are not alone. Amen.